This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, and welcome to the Thursday Lit Lit Show. I'm your host, Paul Hazard. <coughs> and with me tonight to talk all things attention is Dr. Aideen Slattery. Let's get to it. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the show this evening. Uh, Tonight we're going to be talking all things attention. Very, very important for teachers. Maybe more so something like inattention. Um, It's absolutely vital that the children in class have attention if they're going to listen and they're going to learn. Um, So with me tonight then is Aideen Slattery who's going to lead us through what attention is. Aideen, are you there? I'm here, Paul. How are you? I'm very good. It's good to hear you. It's great to hear you. Aideen and I have had some technical difficulties to overcome tonight. And I can tell you there's nothing like a looming deadline to really focus attention. Isn't that right? Well, we got there in the end. We did. We got there in the end. We did. Yeah. Just to give attention a little bit of context, I was reading um, Jo Ellis in the papers at the weekend, and she was saying that 2.6 million people in the UK have a formal diagnosis of an attention issue. And another interesting statistic, in the last 12 years, there's been a 400% increase in adults seeking a diagnosis for some kind of uh, attention disorder. Um, so it's very much of the moment. How did you get interested in the whole business of attention aiding? So, Paul, I'm really interested in kind of evidence-based ways, so interventions or programs that we can use to improve learning and cognition in students. So that really kind of sparked my interest in attention. You know, attention is really kind of the first step in the learning process. Um, And it's so important for everything kids do in class. Um, So that really, you know, ignited my interest and prompted me to kind of pursue um, study and a PhD in the area. Um, Mm -hmm. so, So that's really kind of how I got where I am right now. Yeah. Good. Um, so, Aideen, you know, we, we talk about attention a lot, and certainly I'm very guilty of mixing up the words attention, focus, concentration, that kind of thing. Could you maybe just delineate for us, what's the difference between that kind of cluster of words? That's a really good question. So, attention is not just one type of skill. So, there are actually multiple types of attention. And kind of researchers typically identify three main types and they're called sustained attention. And sometimes this is called concentration. And then we have selective attention and divided attention. 
Mm -hmm. So sustained attention, which is what my research has focused on, really is our ability to focus on kind of a goal-directed task over time. So in the classroom, almost every task students do requires them to sustain attention over time. So whether they're reading a book or listening to the teacher or taking notes, you know, they're maintaining attention to a task over time. Mm -hmm. Then we have selective attention. And this is our ability to look out for important information in our environment while ignoring distracting information. So in the classroom, you know, selective attention may come into play when a student is focusing on a teacher's instructions, but the classroom is really noisy and busy. Then finally, divided attention looks at our ability to allocate our attention to two different tasks simultaneously. So, for example, you have a student in a class and they're listening to a teacher and at the same time they're writing notes um, and they're allocating their attention to the teacher and also their note taking. So these are the kind of three types of attention that we typically talk about in research. And as I Mm. said, my research has focused on one specific type called sustained attention. So I can really tell you a lot about this particular type. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, we'll come back to um, sustained attention, but just on divided attention. I thought really we weren't able to multitask. Well, you know, we can because, you know, we do this, you know, quite frequently in our daily lives, we divide our attention to two different things. So think about in in your daily life, you might be driving your car and you're listening to the radio. So you're attending to both of those tasks. Okay, yeah. So Mm -hmm. so we we, we can multitask and we can definitely divide our attention. Mm -hmm. But really sustained attention then is what most teachers in most classrooms would be looking for. Yes. Well, you know, all types of attention are really important, but sustained attention is particularly important because it influences, firstly, the other types of attention we've talked about Mm -hmm. and also other cognitive functions. Um, So in school, as you as you highlighted, sustained attention is really important for effective learning. So research tells us that the ability to sustain attention is associated with students' academic achievements in key areas like maths. And Mm -hmm. we also know that children can have sustained attention difficulties, like children with ADHD may have sustained attention difficulties, as you kind of alluded to in the kind of first piece of of the, the, the episode. And Mm -hmm. these kids may be at increased risk for things like lower grades, dropping out of school, repeating a year. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this really kind of highlights the importance of sustained attention in school. And, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of just following on from that, you know, sustained attention difficulties are quite common. So Mm -hmm. as many as 24% of students exhibit frequent inattention. So that's one in four, which is, is considerable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as I said, sustained attention difficulties are common in ADHD, but also other developmental disorders like autism and intellectual disability. Um, and then, you know, ADHD is one of the most common neurodevelopmental disorders, approximately half, um, approximately half of kids with ADHD then have sustained attention difficulties. And I'm sure some of the teachers listening in, you know, would have a student with ADHD in their class or maybe multiple students. Yeah. Um, 
So this kind of highlights how important it is and, you know, the prevalence also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sustained attention then is vital to achievement. Uh, and I know you mentioned particularly maybe in maths and, and, and things, I'm sure, elsewhere as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So sustained attention then, is that not difficult for children? I mean, children have curious minds. They want to know things. I certainly know when I was young and I was at school, anything that was happening outside of the room caught my attention. Is it not very difficult for children to sustain attention? It is difficult. That's a really good point. Um, and I suppose we need to look at exactly, well, what is sustained attention? And the ability itself has two main characteristics. The first characteristic is that our ability to sustain attention on a task over time decreases. Mm -hmm. so this can result then in poorer task performance. So the longer time we spend on a task, the more our sustained attention decreases and we may see mistakes creeping into work. Mm -hmm. Then the second characteristic, Paul, is that our sustained attention fluctuates from in the zone periods. Um, so, you know, we can all relate to this when we're really engaged in a task, we experience a sense of flow. Um, and yeah. we go from this kind of state to out of the zone periods where our mind is wandering to kind of task irrelevant thoughts. So mm -hmm. you might be thinking about what you're having for dinner um, or what you might do this evening. And this kind of wandering can, you know, result in attentional lapses and give rise to mistakes. So, you know, it is very hard to pay attention. And, you know, especially when we consider it's, consider its characteristics. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess for, for teachers and educators, it's about, you know, how do we manage sustained attention in the classroom? Can we increase children's sustained attention are, are important mm -hmm. questions we have to ask given mm -hmm. its importance and given the difficulties children may have sustaining attention. And we'll come on to that, uh, Aideen, I hope. But it's just so you said there are two important factors. First of all, then, is that, you know, attention decreases over time mm -hmm. and it fluctuates. Yeah. So we, we do hear a lot about attention span and attention spans are shortening and getting much shorter and social media, mobile phones and all the rest are doing it. it would that be true in, in your experience? You know, to be honest with you, I'm not familiar with that line of research. And, right. you know, I suppose, suppose I would caution against saying, you know, social media use or phone usage is is causing um, poor attention spans. You know, it's very hard to make any sort of causal links between social media use and poor attention. Um, mm -hmm. That's maybe all I, I can say on that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think those those causal links have, have been established. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to get a gauge then. If I have a class of, say, 25 children uh, in front of me, what would the attention span be? What, what would be the range of attention span? Might you have somebody in your class who can only sustain attention for a few minutes, where somebody else might be able to sustain attention for the full period? Would that be reasonable? Yeah, so I mean, sustained attention is variable and it does vary from individual to individual. I can't mm -hmm. really quantify how long 
um, you know, a student or students can sustain their attention for, you know, mm -hmm. it is very dependent on on the task on other factors also like things like motivation come into play, whether, mm -hmm. you know, the student has very, if the student has very high motivation, then they're more likely to be engaged and paying attention. We also yeah. have to think then about things like emotional factors, so things like stress and anxiety. So if uh -huh. a student is highly stressed or anxious, their body is in a kind of a heightened state of physiological arousal, and this can impact their ability to pay attention. Uh -huh. So I really can't quantify how long student, a student or students can pay attention for. It's very variable um, on internal circumstances, so circumstances internal to the individual. And then we also have to look at the kind of external things that influence sustained uh -huh. attention like um, the surrounding environment. So are there things like noise? Um, is the classroom just distracting? Mm -hmm. with lots of clutter or are, are there interruptions that are impacting sustained attention so, so there's really a lot going on yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting now you mentioned then there are internal and external factors so you know what would some of those internal factors be so internal factors are things like motivation mm -hmm. if they have high or low intrinsic motivation to complete a task things like emotional factors, so stress, anxiety. Um, then we have cognitive factors relating to the, the, the actual cognitive ability. Um, so they'd be the kind of main ones, main internal factors that mm -hmm. would impact sustained attention. So I'll just recap motivation, emotional factors, um, and then cognitive factors also. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Um, so, what are some of the things then, you know, that, that teachers might be able to do to get a sustained attention from their, their pupils? To improve sustained attention is, yeah. is that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's important for us here to kind of make a distinction between kind of training designed to enhance students' attentional capacity, so actually improve the underlying ability. An example of this would be cognitive training or brain training, um, and then kind of make a, uh, make a distinction between that and attention management. So attention management refers to strategies or techniques one can use to boost attention in the moment, but it does mm -hmm. not lead to improvements in the underlying ability. So example, an example of uh, attention management technique will be taking a short movement break, you know, optimizing the environment that the student is working in. So creating an environment that is free from distractions. So mm -hmm. they're examples of attention management. Yeah. And then, you know, so my research has focused specifically on cognitive attention training or brain training. So and what exactly is that then, Edding? That's a good question. So mm -hmm. cognitive attention training involves the repetitive practice of a cognitive task. So often mm -hmm. these are like video game like tasks that required that require sustained repetitive effort. And yeah. they're taught to exercise brain networks related to attention. So this type of training is sometimes called brain training or brain games. You may be familiar, more familiar with, with this terminology. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so you can kind of consider cognitive training a bit like um, exercise to train your muscles. Mm-hmm. It's based on the idea of neuroplasticity or brain plasticity, which is our brain's ability to adapt or change based on our experiences. So this is one kind of approach that, you know, is used to enhance um, kind of student sustained attention. You know, our research has found though it may not be sufficient in actually improving sustained attention, um, but it is a technique that is out there and teachers may be using it. Okay. So when you say teachers are using it, you know, are they video gaming in class or is it like, you know, a PE kind of class, except we're doing it with games, or how does that work, maybe? Well, you know, teachers may be using various, you know, there are various companies that advertise cognitive training or brain training for improving students or children's sustained attention. So they may be Mm -hmm. using kind of specific platforms, it could be digital, um, and it may be non-digital. Um, so, so they, they could be using this, um, or also parents may be using these games um, at home with, with students. Um, okay. But our, our research has, has really kind of put a question mark on whether this type of, of training is sufficient to act, actually enhance um, students' sustained attention. Yeah. So what exactly have you found then? Are there any benefits at all? Are they marginal or...? So we've done a lot of research in this area. So firstly, we designed our own training programs um, based on our understanding of what sustained attention is. And we did some rigorous studies to evaluate whether they were effective um, and whether we could train sustained attention. And we found no positive effects of training on sustained attention. Okay. And this kind of really led us to question well, can we actually improve our ability to pay attention using these use, using cognitive training methods? Mm-hmm. So we went away and we conducted a big systematic um, review of the literature. So a systematic review is one of the most kind of rigorous forms of evidence you can get, and it involves like a researcher basically um, summarizing all the available evidence on a particular topic. And we found that we reviewed all the um, studies that looked at cognitive attention training in students, Um, you know, training designed to actually enhance student sustained attention capacity. And we found that in general, you know, cognitive attention training did not reliably improve sustained attention. Mm -hmm. Um, So this has kind of led us to conclude, well, maybe cognitive attention training isn't sufficient to enhance our capacity to sustain attention. Okay, right. Okay, so it may not be sufficient. Okay. Is there anything else? I know you mentioned movement breaks and kind of physical activity. Yes. Would that have a different impact on sustained attention? So we also looked at, in this systematic review, we also looked at other popular approaches. So you mentioned physical activity, we looked at that, and we also looked at mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. Now we did find more promising evidence in support of physical activity and mindfulness meditation in improving the sustained attention capacity. Um, But 
you know, the evidence in this area is very preliminary. Um, the research, unfortunately, has a lot of methodological flaws, which makes it difficult for us to really understand how physical activity and mindfulness is impacting or improving sustained attention. So mm -hmm. our conclusion in relation to these two approaches is that more research needs to be done to determine the, the, the true effect of, of these approaches on sustained attention. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, so when you talked about mindfulness, and there might be some benefits to to mindfulness, did you say? Yes. So, if, so if you kind of, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So if you kind of think about what mindfulness is, you know, it teaches us to direct our attention to the present moment, you know, so that we are kind of fully in, engaged in what we are doing. Um, so it, a target, it really targets sustained attention. And so during mm -hmm. mindfulness, you kind of typically select a point of focus. So sometimes it may be your breath and you direct your attention to that point of focus over time. So if your yeah. mind wanders, you kind of recognize that and then you direct your attention back mm -hmm. to the point of focus, your breath. So you can see how mindfulness really relates to sustained attention. So sustained attention, just to kind of remind you, is our ability to continuously maintain attention to a kind of a task or activity over time. So you can kind of see how mindfulness is so relevant and applicable to sustained attention. Yeah. Um, so the evidence is very is promising in relation to mindfulness. We just need to do more research mm -hmm. in the area yeah and i know we've already kind of alluded to it a little bit but i wonder you know what are the things then that erode or detract from attention sustained attention particularly so the things that would detract or, or erode our attention um are, are things you know i've kind of touched on them about like a motivation mm -hmm. Um, so if we've low motivation, we're disengaged from the task and we are not sustaining our attention, um, then, you know, the emotional factors like stress and anxiety, they're kind of detract, they can detract our attention. Um, you know, sleep is also an important consideration when we talk about sustained attention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sleep is, is really crucial. Um, there was an interesting research paper published, I think maybe last year, and it highlighted the importance of sleep. So basically, the researchers conducted a really interesting study, and they evaluated the impact of a delayed school start time, would you believe, on adolescents' sleep duration and uh, attentional performance. So we know mm -hmm. adolescence is kind of a critical time for um, development and we know adolescents you know they may be going to to sleep later um i don't know they're staying up late watching netflix on their phone um, and <laughs> they're not getting enough sleep and they may be suffering from sleep deprivation so the so the researchers they delayed the school start time by one hour Mm -hmm. um, so they had a group of students who had uh, a later start time by one hour and then um, another group of students who didn't have who had their normal school start time and they actually found that students with the delayed school start time they had longer sleep durations and that 
And then importantly, they found that um, the kind of longer sleep durations was related to improved attentional performance. Mm-hmm. So this study really highlights well the importance of, of sleep and sleep duration on attentional performance. So sleep is another important consideration. So for you know, think of, you know, we can all relate to this. If we're super tired and we're super sluggish, you know, we're just not that, you know, we're not paying it's it's hard to pay attention. Um, yeah. you know, our, our brains and our bodies are not on. Um, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Very definitely. Yeah. I think somewhere, was it Finland, Denmark, Finland or something, did something like that where it may have been sixth formers didn't start their day until 11 or half 11. And I think they found something similar. Yeah. I'm just wondering, um, and, and there will, of course, be an awful lot of teachers who can identify uh, pupils who don't get enough sleep and who come in tired and and so on and they do have a lot of trouble uh paying attention yeah i'm just wondering then um i'm trying to get my head around this a little bit here and i know it's linked to motivation but um over the course of the day could i for example go to a geography class and my sustained attention would be quite good during that geography class I could maybe go to English and it would be poor, but I might be able to pick myself up again, you know, in the afternoon for the maths class. Is there that flexibility or does it kind of deteriorate over the course of a day or? Yeah, no, there is that flexibility. It does fluctuate. you know, so, you know, we do go from in the zone moments to out of the zone moments. So it, it is very possible that a student may be in history and be, you know, really engaged. They're super motivated. They're listening. You know, they're they're really involved and, and sustaining yeah. their attention. And they may go down to another class and, you know, they may not be um, able to sustain their attention or have difficulties. They may not be as motivated, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so this 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 can definitely be the case. Um, you know, I think for for teachers, while kind of I'm saying in terms of, of enhancing attentional capacity, um, more research needs to be done on training and approaches. You know, if we look at attention management, there are you know strategies and techniques teachers could incorporate into their day to mm-hmm. help students sustain attention. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds really interesting and Aideen we're going to come to that after we hear these messages. This program has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved ready to go well-being and mental health program will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more visit us at www happyconfident.com This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News The BBC features a story on the lack of guidance for teachers and schools on the issue of how to support transgender pupils The article on the news website highlights the fact that the government first promised guidance for schools in relation to transgender more than five years ago.
but the Department for Education is only due to publish this term. The piece has been written by the LGBT correspondent and the LGBT producer, and it outlines the difficulty they have had finding schools who are willing to talk about transgender policies, describing it as almost impossible. They say the BBC contacted head teachers across England, but almost all were too anxious to be interviewed on camera, unwilling to draw attention to their schools or pupils who identify as trans or non-binary. Most head teachers who did respond to questions said that without guidance, schools were left to make their own decisions, with some saying this left them in a no-win situation and fearing that whatever they did, they would be criticised or even vilified. One head teacher did say that the schools wanted guidance and advice to help ensure they were making decisions in the best interests of the child. The article also referenced survey tool teacher TAP, which had asked almost 7,000 teachers about their experiences of supporting transgender pupils. About 8% of primary school teachers said they taught trans or non-binary pupils, compared to 75% of teachers in secondary. Just over half said they were not very or not at all confident about next steps to take if a child said they wanted to change their name, pronouns or aspects of their appearance. The guidance is expected to address these issues, as well as the issue of how to involve parents if a child wishes to identify as a gender different to their birth sex, and what to do if a parent disagrees. When BBC News spoke to parents, it was also difficult to find a view everyone agrees with, and parents were also reluctant to speak on record. Some told the BBC they did not want any decisions made without their approval, but others wanted schools to put their child's choices first. It is expected that the Department for Education will publish a draft for consultation prior to final guidance being issued, perhaps highlighting how sensitive the issue is. It is likely the guidance will cover legal ob obligations for single-sex schools and whether schools should inform parents if their child is questioning their gender. It may offer advice on residential trips and single-sex sports. The DfE has said that the overriding principle would be that the well-being and safeguarding of children was paramount. After last week's online storm over the Key Stage 2 SATS reading paper, the content of the test has finally been published. It has been reported across media outlets that children had been in tears, some staff had to really think about the answers and parents were annoyed at the stress pupils faced whilst the DfE said the SATS papers were rigorously trialled. The main concerns were over the test's complexity and length, although this spread into debate about the purpose of SATS overall. Details of the test can be found on the Standards and Testing Agency website. In Wales, a plan for a million Welsh speakers by 2050 is said to be likely to fail without a substantial increase in teachers speaking the language. This is according to a Welsh Government report which focuses on the drop in the number of Welsh speakers since the census in 2011. The 2021 census also found a decrease in the number of children and young people able to speak the language. The Welsh Government funds training programmes for those who want to learn or improve their Welsh, who are teachers in schools in Wales. Finally, the BBC covers a story on words and phrases the public would like to see banned. It followed a tweet by Countdown's Susie Dent in which she asked which words people would like to see banished from the dictionary. Top of the list was the phrase going forward, followed by the other phrase no disrespect but. 
the word like when used as a filler word, and the expression, I'm not going to lie. The list also featured my personal bugbear, sentences that begin with so. Dent used it as an opportunity to explore aspects of the English language and how some phrases which seem modern have actually been around for a long time. Details of the full top 10 are available on the BBC News website. So, going forward, I'm not going to lie, this has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm considering how easy it is to get distracted when researching on the internet. I'm putting myself in the shoes of a young person and I've set myself a task of writing a report on the greatest invention of all time. I'm also not going to use ChatGPT. So, my first online search shows a lot of people claim the wheel is the greatest invention. And let's face it, there are a lot of them around. There are 9 million bicycles in Beijing, and that's a fact. That's 18 million wheels just on bikes in one city, if we assume nobody has a tricycle. This led me to want to know how many bicycles there are in the world. The answer I found was an estimated 1 billion. That's 2 billion wheels, again, assuming nobody has a tricycle. Now I want to know how many wheels are there in the world. Another search tells me there's an estimated 37 billion, 24 of these billion being toys, and the next biggest share of 8.4 billion being on cars. A quick scan of the results page poses an additional question I hadn't considered. Are there more doors or wheels in the world? Well, I simply have to know. In a few clicks, I find out it's estimated there are 48 billion doors in the world. So based on this research, there are more doors and isn't a door a great invention? Yet it's not been proposed as one in my prior searches. And if there are that many doors, how many hinges must there be? The amazing thing about the internet is that there's always an answer. And the way search engines deliver those answers are designed to keep you interested and active. So potentially, you see more ads and make them more money, which doesn't help get that report written, does it? Does your school teach young people how to research effectively? Do our young people realise how much they are advertised at? I'd love to hear your thoughts. As always, when I get in touch at TC Radio Official, I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. Hello and welcome back to the Late Late Show on Thursday the 25th of May. You're with me, your host Paul Hazard and Dr Aideen Slattery and we're talking about attention. Aideen, just before the break you mentioned that you had some strategies that teachers might be able to use to better attention. What are some of the things teachers could do? So, Paul, some um, attention management strategies that teachers could incorporate easily enough into their classroom are things like short movement breaks. Um, So Mm -hmm. we know sustained attention declines over time. So, you know, give students a break, break up tasks. Um, Mm -hmm. Then, you know, consider things like environment optimization, you know, is kind of the environment kind of free from distractions, you know, is there clutter on the desk, could that be taken off? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's a very simple thing, um, you know, a teacher could do. 
Um, but I think, you know, there's actually some evidence behind an attention management technique called self-alert training. And I'll tell you a little bit about it. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the goal of self-alert training is to boost or to teach individuals to kind of boost their alertness or attention so they can reorientate their attention back to task demands. Mm-hmm. And it's a technique that involves three components and it's quite simple, but it does actually help and can work. So the mm-hmm. three components to the technique are a shift in posture. So if a student is sitting in their seat, you know, you'd ask them just to kind of shift in their seat, maybe to stretch their hands up. Yeah. Then to take a deep breath. And um, so a deep breath. Um, and these kind of two components, they really target our kind of body's alertness and they kind of wake up the body. Um, which is important and then the third component is is instruction just to kind of focus and that they would say this to themselves Mm -hmm. Um, and this technique has actually proven to um, boost sustained attention in the moment and it it, it can be effective so it is something that you know a teacher may want to try out with a student or students um, in their in their classroom but you know I suppose I would kind of highlight the benefit benefit of breaks throughout a a class or especially Mm -hmm. over a long period and you know when I talk about breaks specifically a movement break um, you know they need to get up and just kind of move a little bit so they actually wake up their body Um, and this can these things can help and and make a difference Um, so this is kind of what I I would suggest um, could help improve students attention in the moment in the classroom I'm doing the self-alert training aiding yeah it's definitely working (laughs) it's having some impact anyhow yeah Um, yeah and it's just short it's brief isn't it it's it's quite quick that's it and it's easy enough to implement yeah and it's something actually I do you know throughout my work day um if I'm if I'm finding it challenging to pay attention to something I would actually implement these techniques and they they do they can help um so I I would suggest that that teachers go here you know as I said there's preliminary evidence but it's promising about um mindfulness and physical activity but right Mm -hmm. now I, I will be directing people towards Um, attention management but I should actually say on that you know um, meditation like mindfulness and physical activity have lots of other benefits like mental health benefits and physical benefits I'm purely looking at at them from an attentional standpoint and improving attentional ability yeah Um, Mm -hmm. yeah and look if teachers are listening and they're going to try your self-alert training as you've, you've just outlined it you know posture breath and tell yourself to focus be sure and leave a comment. Let us know how it went um, and tell us what your successes are with that. Yeah, I think movement breaks are very interesting. Um, I know when I played sport, which is a long time ago now, um, one of our football managers was very keen on kind of combining and integrating kind of intellectual things with physical things. So as we were you know sprinting or running around the pitch or whatever it was um, you know he would get us to call out our times tables or you know something that we'd learned uh, and he was very convinced that you know the, the the physical and the mental were a good marriage for each other and very complementary towards each other 
Um, you know, and that's really, body, yeah, go ahead, together. yeah. You know, mm -hmm. our, our, our bodies and our minds work together and our body is really important, you know, for our ability to sustain attention. Um, a, a lot of our ability to sustain attention come back, comes back to kind of our level of, of, of how awake kind of essentially our body is. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in many ways, he's right. And just just following on from that, you know, there, you know, I've mentioned kind of there is promising evidence behind physical activity, but kind of one type of physical activity for improving attention that's particularly promising is physical activity with a cognitive component. So mm. this is something yeah. like basketball. So if you think about basketball, students mm -hmm. have to think or, you know the well players have to think when they're playing they have to look mm -hmm. around their environment they have to kind of scan their opposition and, and anticipate what their opponent might do um so this type of physical activity with a cognitive component may actually be more beneficial for improving cognitive function and attention than say physical activity that is maybe kind of mindless or simple a bit like you know the, the, an example of this would be kind of jogging um you yeah. know, you're not kind of uh, engaging your cognition to the same extent um as you are when you're playing say basketball or tennis or football mm -hmm. so, um, i, I yeah. think your coach um you know he had a lot of sense <laughs> he did. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned there because one of the things he always wanted us to do was to be able to think. And, you know, he tried to get us to think even a few moves ahead to be alert. Um, he had this thing about, you know, when you're a player, you can get caught up in the game. Your attention goes. And although you're wearing the football shirt and so on, you're more of a spectator than you are a player. And he used to always, you know, try and, and guard against that. So he wanted us to think, to be alert uh, to the moves and what was going on and try and anticipate and really to play a much more clever game of football than just a kind of physical game. Yeah, so he was way ahead of his time, I think. Yeah, you know, well, kind of you mentioned there the, the, the concept of alertness, you know, this is really, really linked to sustained attention, you know, being alert in our mind and also being alert in our body, you know, is really important for sustained attention. So, mm -hmm. yeah, he, he was maybe maybe ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what's the what's the distinction there between alertness and attention? Um, well, they're, they're quite, they're quite related. So mm -hmm. like, if you go back to what sustained attention is, you know, sustained attention is really our, our ability to kind of maintain alertness. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's kind of the terminology can be confusing. Um, but you know, it's very related and kind of embedded in sustained attention. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, tell me this, Aideen, then. I wonder a little bit about the, I don't know if it is really the flip side, I'm going to say that anyhow, but the flip side of that, and that's maybe daydreaming or inattention. It, I, I do know some people say that daydreaming is important and moments of inattention are maybe quite good for us. Is there any sense to that? 
Yes, there. I, I know there is some research on kind of definitely the beneficial, um, the benefits of daydreaming and that it does have benefits for us. Now, I, mm-hmm. I'm not very familiar with it, so, so I can't mm. speak at length for it, mm-hmm. about it. Um, but, you know, definitely it may have benefits. But then again, you know, I guess it's where do we draw the line between, you know, if we are daydreaming when we're supposed to be doing kind of an important task that, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, is say like a, say for example you know a standardized test um you know wh- where do we draw the line so i guess maybe some level of daydreaming is beneficial um but yeah. then in some instances you know we need to be able to pull our attention back to the task at hand um when mm-hmm. it matters yeah yeah i'm trying to kind of think back myself uh, and i can picture the book where i read that but i can't remember the title or the the name of the author, but I think he was kind of positing that, you know, daydreaming and inattention are very important for creative work. You know, they allow the imagination to kind of run rampant and you come up with ideas. And then, of course, what you need to do is bring that discipline of attention to the creativity to, you know, create something. Um, yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Yeah, um, you know, there definitely is benefits to daydreaming for sure, um, as as you've kind of outlined. Um, mm. But then I guess we need to know when to switch it off. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which can be difficult, of course, when you uh, don't have that self awareness, or you are tired, or you're sluggish, or you maybe haven't had you know the breakfast, or you've had a row with your mummy coming out to school that morning, and you're you know, emotionally upset or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Or you're just doing like an activity that's that can be boring or repetitive. um, And, you know, you don't really want to be doing it. So your mind goes elsewhere. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. it can definitely be difficult to pull back then um, to reorientate your attention back to kind of the task you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Mm hmm. Aiden, can I take you back a wee minute to your uh, self-alert uh, training? Uh, just when you were talking about it, you reminded me uh, of something that we have here in Northern Ireland. I, I don't know if it exists el- elsewhere, but we have a training called Primary Movement. I'm not sure. Are you aware of it? No, I'm not familiar. I'll maybe try and find uh, something on it and, and put it in the in the link, but basically and again you know this is this is from vague memory but primary movement is about um certain postures and certain movements i think tilts of your head and turning around with your chin on your shoulder and so on and so forth and and what that would do uh, and i'm being very unfair to primary movement here but basically what that did was that allowed children to be more alert and to pay more attention in class because of, you know, stresses or strains or whatever it was that they had. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see the the, the parallels with the self-alert training. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not familiar with it. I haven't seen any research on it, but yeah. it's definitely working by kind of waking up your body and kind mm-hmm. of increasing that kind of physiological arousal or alertness that we need to um sustain attention so i definitely yeah. see the parallels that's very interesting yeah I, i'll maybe uh see if i can dig something out on that or i think of somebody i can talk to and i can get a, a link or something and i'll put it in the show notes yeah what about um because you, you mentioned uh, attainment 
uh, and so on. And I was listening to a friend of mine today, Alistair Hamill. Alistair's been on the show, but he was doing a, a webinar today about retrieval. It's excellent. And retrieval is very much about memory. And of course, it's exam season, and, and he was trying to help teachers to, uh, you know, to, to gen up the memory of their children. Is there any link between attention and memory and examination outcome? There sure is. How long do we have, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> We're actually coming towards the end. <laughs> well, I suppose I'll just talk to you a little bit about what memory is first. Um, yeah. So a bit like attention, there are lots of different types of memory. Um, you have things like short term memory, working memory, long term memory. Um, and my own research has focused on something called working memory, which is really related to sustained attention. And working memory is is our ability to kind of hold information in our mind and manipulate it. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really, really important for academic achievement. Um, so yes, you know, memory is super important for retrieval um, of, of knowledge and, and skills acquired. So students can then, you know, produce that, that knowledge when they're completing um, mm -hmm. a, an assessment. Um, so it's very, it's a very kind of complex topic. Um, the relationship between memory and sustained attention, particularly kind of working memory is very related to sustained attention. And we can kind of see that difficulties with working memory, so the ability to kind of hold something in your mind and manipulate it can actually give rise to kind of inattentive behavior. Um, mm, so for example, yeah. like a student may, you may assign a particular task or a goal to a student um, and they may then just forget it. Um, and they, then they, this can kind of come come across as kind of inattention and inattentive behavior um, when kind of working memory is really at play in this instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because one of the things I really liked about Alistair's talk today was he talked about, you know, having something up on your screen or the board or whatever, and that as children come in and settle and focus them, the task that you have up. Uh, and, and he talked about, you know, maybe having it in terms of expectations. You know, we're revising volcanoes. What would you expect to be learning today? How that gets them very much focused. It kind of opens the memory drawers from, you know, what they did the previous week and month. And, you know, it, it gives the class the start to attention is already built into the lesson. That's very good. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. That is very good. And I guess it's all there about task organization, you know, the, pre the presentation of the task, kind of the scheduling of the task really kind of mm -hmm. sets up the student students nicely to to focus their attention they, and, and their expectations about what they're going to be doing in that that kind of particular scenario. So, yeah, you know, that that sounds that sounds really great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Aideen, how would a school set about benefiting from your research and improving their attention, focus, concentration, and so on? What, what, what would a school maybe, how would they organize their day, their building, their timetables? You know, I suppose because my our research is really focused on kind of these training or trainings and approaches, um, well, cognitive training, you know, the evidence just is not there to kind of support it at the moment. And there's prom more promising ev evidence about mindfulness and physical activity, um, you know, 
you know, I can't really advise on how a school should set up around those things. I think it's important for us to kind of remember when we're talking about kind of schools implementing interventions and programs that, you know, schools can only do a certain um, a certain amount of things. You know, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of time, certain amount of resources um, that schools have um, and kind of the, the, the things that sh- should be implemented need to be based in evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can't really advise how a school should maybe implement these programs, um, because the evidence is just not there. Mm-hmm. What I will be doing is I will be suggesting, you know, the teachers to imp- try implementing kind of attention management strategies that we talked about, mm-hmm. that this may be, mm-hmm. you know, most effective. So right now I can't say, you know, how a school should, should organize itself, um, because, you know, the evidence just isn't there to support that Um, Mm -hmm. but i would encourage kind of individual teachers to to try out these these techniques um and see are are they helping their students sustain attention yeah and and i'm sure teachers will uh they're so uh straightforward um to to implement yeah so in, in in what direction is your work taking you now is there anything interesting in the pipeline for schools and teachers? There's lots of interesting things in the pipeline um, happening. So my research has taken a slightly different direction, but related. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, my research looks at evaluating digital game-based learning with Minecraft education mm-hmm. um, and its effectiveness as an educational tool in primary school students. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done some research, really interesting research with teachers and students um, about their experiences of using Minecraft education in, in the classroom. So I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with with the with the game Minecraft is one of the most popular mm-hmm. games and the education version has specifically been designed for use in the classroom. So there's lots of um, additional features that make it easier for teachers to use. Um, and, and in case they're not Minecraft education just tell us exactly what it is then so well I'll just maybe if I maybe talk a little bit about Minecraft first. sure sure firstly Minecraft you can kind of think of Minecraft as like a digital Lego Mm -hmm. um kind of you know players are in these kind of 3d worlds that are made up of cubic blocks and the core gameplay is using these blocks to build structures so that's the the kind of regular version of Minecraft. The educational version is very similar, but it has various additional features. So for example, students can work together on, on a project. Um, they can, um, teachers can turn on and off some settings. Teachers can track students' work and uh, deliver feedback using the platform. And also mm-hmm. there is like um, a catalog of pre-made lessons that teachers could use and implement in their classroom. Um, So we've interviewed teachers um, about their experiences and, you know, they're they're very positive about using Minecraft in classroom, you know, as a tool for helping students be more creative and work together. Um, You know, they talk about Minecraft as um, giving students a sense of ownership over their work, which is really, really important. And something mm-hmm. that we found that we weren't quite expecting, but I think is really important, is that teachers say, are saying that they can use Minecraft education to actually in, 
create a more inclusive and equitable classroom, which is, you know, hugely important um, that all students have kind of access to high quality educational experiences. So we've received mm -hmm. lots of positive feedback from teachers and students as well. Um, students are also saying similar things, you know, it allows them to really be engaged with their learning. Um, mm -hmm. So we're doing a lot, basically we're doing lots of really interesting research on Minecraft education um, mm. and it has, has lots of benefits for teachers and students. It's going to make a lot of gamers very happy. <laughs> it is, it yeah. is, but you know, I do think, Paul, that kind of as as we as kind of the years go on you know digital learning is becoming more important in, in schools and mm -hmm. um I, I think this is the future of, of education digital learning and you know it's also important that the future is kind of evidence-based um mm -hmm. that any kind of new technologies or approaches that are in, introduced into the classroom are grounded in solid evidence so that teachers can integrate them in kind of an effective and meaningful way um, yeah so you know i i think it's really interesting and i'm looking forward to kind of seeing the the results of of, of other projects we're doing at the moment mm -hmm. that all sounds very interesting yes we'll have to have you back on at some stage in the future when you can tell us more more about your findings yeah and uh, i think you're absolutely right yes i do think uh that, that the way we educate uh is on the brink of change and it's going to take a lot of courage for people to realize that you know not all learning has to happen in classrooms in straight rows and so on but that if we use technology and use it well it's it's a fabulous tool yeah that's it exactly. Yeah. Aideen, it's become a bit of a habit on this show that I ask the guests then, if you had a magic wand and only one spell to cast, what change would you make to education that would significantly improve the lot for everybody? That's a really interesting question. And I think, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a difficult one to answer. It um, is, of course. But, you know, it, my answer is going to be inspired by a talk I was at last week. Um, really quickly, uh, we had um, Professor Larry Hedges over from Northwestern University in the US, and Larry is a leader in education evaluation mm -hmm. and evidence-based practice and policies. So kind of off the back of that talk, um, I would say that I would um, encourage um, and, and kind of advocate for more evidence-based practice in education. I think if, um, you know, if education is grounded in solid evidence, robust evidence, you know, the, everyone's lot can be improved um, because we are doing the most effective um, things possible that have the most outpack, uh, most impact and benefit mm -hmm. for students. Um, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so that that's what I would say um, would, would would be my my magic wand. Yeah, yeah, and that obviously takes time, then, doesn't it? You know, we do these things, and then we have to find out, you know, what is the evidence base and and so on exactly yeah. it, it does take time um and you know time and effort and resources but in the long run it is worth it um because sometimes practices we might use are actually not effective and they may have the opposite effect 
So it's mm. really important that kind of research is done and we're evaluating what we're doing and we're implementing mm. evidence-based practice and policies and policies. It's really important um, mm. at, at kind of the policy level as well. Aideen, it's been great having you on the show. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but it's been great. Not at all. Thank you very much, Dr. Aideen Slattery. Don't forget, everybody, tune in tomorrow morning. You can hear John Gibbs at 11 a.m. on the morning show. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. This program has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health program will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com.